everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of PetAbility. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hey, Kathy, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm, I feel good today. Well, I how bet are you, you do. I bet you do feel good because I'm over here, uh, you know, kind of sweating in my shoes because this is going to be a quasi interview of you and about blind dogs. Is that, that's your jam. So I'm feeling all kinds of, of uh, pressure here. I'm feeling like I'm talking to a, a celebrity. <laughs> a D-list. Well, Maybe a D-list. I, I looked at you have your Instagram followers. How many do you have? It's like 1200. Yeah. We have a lot of followers. It's a lot. You know, one thing that, that I love about, I mean, I wouldn't say that I, that um, having a blind dog is certainly uh, it certainly has its challenges. But the one of the things I do enjoy about blind dogs and talking about blind dogs is the blind dog community, because there really is a blind dog community. There are other people out there, and they're wanting to share their experience with you. They're wanting to get information, and they're kind and they're respectful. And it really is. We have our own Facebook group. We're on Instagram. We we you know I I'm. I think I care more about like 1200 blind dogs on Instagram than I know than people. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which is but, often true in the veterinary community. It might be, we yeah. we yeah. have better relationships with the animals in our lives exactly. than we do the people around us. <laughs> but, uh, but it really is a community. It really is a community and it really is a very supportive community. And for that, I'm really proud to, to be a part of that. So we have been uh, talking about doing this episode since the beginning, and it is exciting that it's finally here uh, to to hear about your experiences, your personal experiences regarding uh, caring for for blind dogs. Uh, you know how it all began and uh, where you are today. And you know I know that uh, you've authored a couple of books on the subject, and so in this episode we're gonna we're gonna cover all that, right? Yes. Okay. So let's start with um, 
just for our listeners, you know, you said there's a whole community out there. Um, it, you know, obviously, a lot of us have, have pets of various sorts. How do you, does one first recognize if their dog, cat, or other is losing vision? You know, what were, are some of the signs that, that we should all look for? So it's a good question, Chris, because sometimes our animals are able to adapt so well to um, losing or losing their vision over time, right, that we may not notice because they adapt so well. Um, so things like um, bumping in the furniture, uh, being, you know, startled perhaps, you know, or high startled reflex, um, things that they've been historically confident about that they're not anymore, so maybe climbing up and down the stairs, uh, getting in and out of the car, um, any change, of course, too, to the eye coloration of the eye, the color of the sclera, um, any of those things could certainly indicate that our dogs have vision loss. Um, there are some diseases that are out there that cause vision loss that happens uh, rapidly. So typically that is a disease called sudden acquired retinal degeneration syndrome. And that's, that's acute. And those dogs lose their vision sometimes within a 24-hour time frame and sometimes over days. And those dogs are pretty obvious when we, they lose their vision because they could see the night before and the next day they can't see. And so those, those are pretty obvious because those dogs are confused. They're bumping into things. Um, they're, they're acting not like themselves. And so I would say that, you know, dogs that are losing their vision slowly, they're adapting really well. You may not notice until they start bumping into stuff. Dogs who lose their vision acutely, you're going to know they're going to start bumping into stuff right away. They're going to act not, right. they're not going to act like themselves. Yep. Because it's a sudden syndrome and onset uh, and they don't have time for that adaptation, there's going to be a sudden change in behavior, um, I, I would expect. And uh, Hearing you talk about this, um, you know, I'm like, oh, I haven't had that much experience with blind dogs and such, but I, it made me think about myself. I started wearing glasses when I was four years old. And how did my parents know? I remember running excitedly into my grandparents' house, and they had a china hutch at the end of the room. And instead of taking the left to go into the kitchen, Chris ran right into the glass of the oh. china. Fortunately, the glass did not break. But, oh, my God. Yeah. And they're like, but, you know what? Something's wrong with her. That's not right. That's not right. Exactly. And then I think they started thinking about other, you know, examples. But, I mean, this was when I was, like, three. You know, they're like, why is she running into things? But, you know, it's the same with, with our dogs. And, and they thought that, you know, I might need surgery. But, fortunately, it was corrected with glasses and, and so okay. forth. And, you know, so, again, there's a whole spectrum in people. Of, of vision and vision loss, and I'm assuming there's all kinds of uh, disorders, diseases, conditions in, in dogs um, or and other animals as well. So you yeah, became, think, go ahead. I'm sorry, I, and I think what happens with some of these dogs that are losing their vision gradually over time is they get the layout of the house, you know, and, and they, they have a routine and they understand where the layout is the house. Now, if you took that china hutch and moved it to the middle of the room with your dog that was losing vision, then yeah, they would probably, you know, they'd probably run into that. They'd probably <laughs> right. run into that too. But they're so good at adapting. They really are so good at adapting to, to changes like that. No. And adapting because I think also they have such acute other senses, right? I think for the most part, you know, we know that our dog's first way of navigating the world is through their nose, you know, some more than others, like your hounds and beagles and things like that. But they have a much greater sense of scent than we do. I think we process the world a lot through our eyes and ears. Um, dogs tend to do nose first and then 
I looked this up once. Is it eyes next and then ears or ears and then eyes? Well, I think it's, I think, I mean, certainly scent, it nose is, is definitely the primary sense Number of one. a dog. Yeah. And you know what? I've often thought if I could have like one superpower just for one day, I kind of would like to see what it was like to experience the world through these olfactory, being able to like pick out every single scent. And maybe it wouldn't be pleasant if you're a human <laughs> to be able to pick out everything, but I can't imagine the process that goes on in the brain. A large portion of a dog's brain is dedicated to scent to building up that database of scent, to detecting scent. And um, I would say arguably their next greatest sense would probably be hearing. Um, dogs have a credible hearing and they're able to hear at distances um, probably greater than ours. And they're really good at detecting which direction sound is coming from as well. So arguably I'd probably say hearing is second and vision is likely third. Um, I, I can't prove I, that, but definitely, definitely no, I think you're right. first one I, is, is, is definitely the nose. Yeah, I'd looked this up in the past, and I just couldn't recall it in in this moment. But I, what you say makes sense, and I think you're right. So, um, yeah, fortunately, you know, we all have other senses that we can rely on, and they those become so much more important when one sense is lost, such as as sight. So, um, you became an expert not necessarily by choice, but because you had a personal experience. So, can you? Tell us about that. Well, I've been a veterinary technician for uh, a very, a very long time. And I can see myself, you know, over and over again in, you know, or in exam rooms talking to clients about their dogs and their dogs, you know, loss of vision. And, and I certainly didn't mean to be dismissive of owners' feelings when I would say things like, your dog's going to be okay. It's because I really felt the dogs were going to be okay. Um, but I wasn't telling them how right? I didn't tell them how was their dog going to be okay. And until it happened to me and my dog, my first dog I had went blind at the age of seven. Um, we think from sudden acquired retinal degeneration syndrome. So it happened very quickly and um, there wasn't a lot of time to adjust. And then I realized, wow, this is really devastating to an owner. This is really devastating. And how, um, how do we, you know, things that run through your mind when your dog loses their vision is how am I going to keep them safe? How was my dog going to navigate the world? How am I going to communicate with them? Are they going to be able to have a good quality of life? Are they going to be able to experience joy? Still, so those things really run through your mind. And yeah, I, I'm here to tell you, those dogs, blind dogs can experience all those things. They can have an interesting, joyful, happy life without vision. Yes, I think that's the, the big take-home message. But getting there, I think, uh, takes, takes a bit of, of time and, and work. I know... For you, it caused a lot of anxiety in the beginning, and rightfully so. And so, again, now you had this newfound empathy with the, the people that you're working with. And whether it's vision or, you know, suddenly unable to, to walk, you know, for whatever reason in, mm -hmm. the, in the rear end or, um, you know, I think we're all compassionate and, and empathic as, as much as we can be in this profession. But when you have firsthand experience, uh, there's nothing like it to Right. to get it so. right and then and and yes and I think that that um, largely is maybe what gives me more credibility not necessarily that I'm a veterinary technician or that I specialize in rehab but that I've owned two blind dogs and I know what it's like um, and I know what it's like for somebody to tell you that diagnosis that your dog is blind um, and it's really scary it's really scary and so what I did was I started just I started using a lot of the tools 
that I was using in rehab to get my dog readjusted to his new life or what Tom, my husband and I would call his new normal um, and that new baseline. And so I just started documenting what we were doing to, to do things to build his confidence. Um, you know, I think the other thing that was important for my dog is for him to have an understanding that I was as establishing myself as a role as the leader of us, uh, you know, the leader of maybe not the pack, but the leader of him, but in a positive way. So, um, I, I, in, in a way that I was trying to explain to him, I've got this, you know, you can trust me to be your eyes. I've got this. So a lot of it was about training and confidence building, just like we do in rehab, a lot of confidence building, um, and, and setting some ground rules for, for people and how they can greet my dog and what my dog was able to do and what my dog was not able to do. And, 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 um, I documented all of that while, while we were living with him though. So. <laughs> and then that became the wonderful book that I'm, I'm looking at right now, Blind Devotion, Enhancing the Lives of Blind and Visually Impaired Dogs by Kathy Simon, CVT, CCRP. Thank you. <laughs> so over the years, I've certainly recommended this book to many a client whose dogs have lost their vision or have decreased vision. But to my surprise, uh, it's, it's kind of been solicited from me. For example... A few months ago, I'm pulling into my driveway and boom, 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 boom on my car window. It scared me to death. And it was a neighbor down the street that I barely know. But I've seen she and her husband walking their little, uh, I think she's either mini poodle or, or some mix of, of that sort. And they said that Maggie had been diagnosed with SARDS. So again, mouthful, right? So sudden acquired retinal degeneration syndrome. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And wanted to know, because they knew that I'm a rehabber, you know, and that I know pets, and did I have any resources? And so I actually had an extra copy of your book that I gave them and uh, followed up with them, and they said it was so helpful, and I continue to see the, them walking Maggie around the neighborhood and her up in the window barking away and, and so forth, so... That was one example, and then another was uh, my cat sitter of years, and uh, she had a lab that lost her vision, and unbeknownst to me, when I was talking to her about it, she's like, oh yeah, I got Kathy's book, and I've read some other books, but hers is so much better, so... Yay, um, yay for me. Yeah, yay for you, and uh, so yes, I do unabashedly promote your book, and so I'd like to go through some of the 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 topics I guess and and sure. one of the first things that you you start with in the book is helping readers to understand what is vision how does vision work what does it mean to have vision uh, can you elaborate on that Kathy yeah and I started with that in the book because I think it's really important for owners to have an understanding of what it means to lose vision right mm -hmm. so it, you know sometimes I think people don't necessarily put a couple of things together for associations so they go I know my dog is blind but now she's not you know she's want to interact with the other dogs so they they don't necessarily maybe put that together or my dog is blind I know she can't see but now she doesn't want to do the stairs does that make sense and they can't necessarily like put some of that correlation between blindness and some of the other things together. And what does it exactly mean for your dog to have no vision? Because sometimes I'll also have people that'll say, well, my dog is blind, but I think, you know, maybe she can do this or maybe she can see that. But if she's, if your dog has been diagnosed as totally blind, that means your dog has a lack of vision in both eyes. So we can't, they can't see light. They can't see color. They have no depth perception. 
uh, and they have no visual acuity. So sometimes, you know, you're going to see things. So you go, okay, well, blindness, that, you know, my dog bumping into stuff, that makes sense. But now my dog is kind of cranky with other dogs. Does that make sense too? It might. It might when you, if you think about what it's like to lose uh, a sensory you know, or to have a sensory impairment like that. So, yeah, I think it's important for them to understand exactly what that means. Um, so bumping into stuff, yes. Color, no. Uh, light, they can't perceive light as well. And, and, and I think we talked about visual acuity. So there's no, there's no ability to focus on an object. So, Kathy, let's talk a little bit more about what normal vision is for a dog because it is different than ours. And I think that's also a misconception uh, that, Folks don't understand how a dog's normal vision is different than our normal vision. So some of the things that that I noted uh, from reading your book is that dogs can actually see better than we can in low levels of light. We see better in bright light. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, dogs are, I mean... You'll see that a lot of um, mammals will have a, a structure in their eye called the tapetum, and the, that's in the back of the eye, and it acts like a mirror reflect, reflecting light for these dogs. So have you ever seen um, maybe a photo of your dog or your cat where their eyes are glimmery or glowy? Oh, you know, they almost yeah, like the devil eyes, the devil exactly. eyes. Yeah. That reflection is the tapetum, and that's what allows dogs to have better, better vision at night than people, and that makes you a better hunter. So mm. you would, it would make sense that animals that are mammals that hunt would have this nighttime adaptability, and that structure allows them to see better in, in dark lighting and, and adapt better to low lighting than humans. And um, I would say that humans, you know, maybe we, we certainly see better in brighter lighting, that's for sure. And how dogs um, perceive light and color is, is different than humans, particularly color, where people of uh, trichromatic vision, which gives us the ability to see all the colors in this, in the visual spectrum. But for dogs, they have dichromatic vision and they can only see two colors in the visual spectrum. And I, I know what it is. I know what okay, it go is. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> it's yellow and blue. Yes. <laughs> yellow and blue. And they can see in shades of gray as well. Um, so, so how we perceive light and how we perceive color between humans and dogs are different. Can I just interject here that I think it's so ironic that the number one color of things for our pets, namely dogs, tends to Orange. be reds and oranges. Yes, and they can't see that. It's, it's all for our pleasure. You know, we're, we're all narcissistic, I guess, in that way. You know, it's like, oh, that looks so pretty. You're not going to lose it. We're not right. going to lose it. <laughs> right. We're not going to lose it. But to them, it looks kind of like uh, brown right. or something. I, I've looked yeah. at some images on the yeah. on the computer that showed the contrast between our color spectrum and what we can see and, and what the dogs actually looks like. Yeah. And, and, and the, the other misnomer is that many people think that dogs don't see color at all. And that's not true. You know, it's not just black and white. So I think it's important yeah. that they do know that they, they do have that, uh, Bichromatic, as you say, you yes. sound so smart, Kathy. Have, Look at all these big words. I mean, you we said tapetum or whatever. I thought I was going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Gazootite. Gazootite. yeah. Um, yes, that, we have found. Yeah, sorry, we have found in dogs. We have found um, color receptive uh, cones, so we know for sure that dogs have the ability to see some color. So we we can prove now that we it once was thought that dogs couldn't see color, but now we know for sure. Dogs can see, you know, some color. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had this personal experience with my previous Cavalier. Uh, the the neurologist had had looked in her eye, and they they noted that her optic nerve in one of her eyes was small. 
but it seemed that she had some vision in it. But when we would be out and about, and I wouldn't be very far away, you know, maybe 20 or 30 feet, you know, in the woods or something. And I'd be calling her and she'd be looking and I, she couldn't see me. She couldn't see me. But as soon as I had waved my arms, Mm -hmm. boom, she got me. And so that's another thing that, that dogs I think have over us is that they can see movement much better. Oh, yeah. And if you think about that, I mean, dogs have, dogs have different eyes, actually. If you think about your, your contrast between your borzoi and your pug, and you look at the eye set within the dog's eyes. So we have our borzois that have their eyes sort of almost uh, on the side of their head. And so that gives them a really wide field of view and really good um, peripheral vision, especially when they're height, hunting, right? These sight hounds are watching things move over the horizon. So that gives them really good hunting ability. And if you look at your pug, then you see that your pug has a different eye set. You know, it's in the front of their face. So that gives them a smaller field of view and maybe less peripheral vision for those dogs. But they probably see things better up close, you know, than than your borzoi because their borzoi is blocked a little bit by their nose. You know, their eyes are on the side and they, they maybe can't see so much you know, directly in front of them. So you might be, you know, more likely to see, you know, your borzoi outside watching the horizon chasing rabbits and maybe you're more likely to find your pug you know inside the house watching the images on television because they can see it with clarity and see it up close mm-hmm, so their mm-hmm. eyes are different as well you i'm glad you mentioned the peripheral vision because again compared to people i think dogs in general it's it's much greater and the pug may not be and, and but uh in general i think dogs is much greater and earlier you mentioned something about depth perception and uh, I, again, it's all about me today, I guess. Um, but I had a problem uh, recently. I had already mentioned about my vision issues uh, early in life. But my eyes, when I got into my 40s, uh, decompensated. And nice. so even though I was wearing uh, glasses and contacts and things like that, uh, the muscles were, were tired. And I was seeing out of one eye or the other. Hmm. And so images for me would jump around. Oh boy! And yeah, that was real fun driving. And uh, I was also playing on a on a flag football team at the time, and I remember taking a ball right in the forehead. <laughs> I thought I had I thought I had that right in my gr- grasp, and boom! You know, broke my sunglasses and and everything else. But the <laughs> issue was that the two eyes weren't coming together yeah. uh, to to give me that depth perception. And if if a dog loses vision in one eye, then they will not have that depth perception either, correct? You know, they're, they're going to have difficulty with depth, depth perception because the ability to have depth perception depends upon binocular vision. Right. And binocular vision is, is that, single, you know, that single image that comes together from the two eyes. You know, they overlap and it creates this single visual image. So they may very well have some difficulty with depth perception. So if you have a dog with one eye, yeah, maybe they'll bump in. They may still bump into stuff, even though they can still see out of one eye, but they don't have that other. They may still bump into stuff because that depth perception isn't as good as it would be if we had good binocular vision. And I think for, for again, our listeners that may know that their dog has a, a problem with one eye, I think that's really important to, to note because things like approaching uh, the top of the stairs or jumping onto furniture or out of the car, um, Again, by, you know, knowing where these things are and having done it over and over again, I think they compensate well, but whenever they're in a different environment, you know, maybe they're taking a ride in Aunt Susie's car and hers is a 
big SUV and yours is a little sedan, they may not have that depth perception and, and misjudge, uh, you know, getting in or out of that car. So um, I, I think that's just fascinating as well. And the, I think also if I think about it, I think about if you have one eye, even just people approaching you to pet you could be startling because you don't right. see it coming from one side or the other. And so those are some of the things that we have to teach people when we have dogs that have visual impairment or dogs that are blind, how to approach them. Because it can be startling or jarring when you're just like, oh, my God, where did you come from? Uh, because I can only see out of my left eye. I can't see mm-hmm. out of my right eye. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are some things that we have to consider as well. Right. Uh, let's switch tacks a little bit. You also describe very well in your book about the eye exam for a dog or a pet. And, you know, I, I think that's important because it allows owners to kind of know what to expect and, you know, maybe help their their dog or cat uh to be less anxious um, for that examination. And a lot of folks out there may not even know that there is a specialty of veterinary ophthalmology. So, uh, right. Yeah. Guess what? I didn't either until my dog went <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, it, you know, if, you're, if you think that your dog has some type of visual impairment, I think it's important that we address that immediately with your dog's primary care uh, doctor. Once it's been determined that your dog has a visual impairment, I think it's important for you to get referred to the veterinary ophthalmologist. And the reason for that is that your veterinary ophthalmologist is going to have equipment, diagnostic equipment, that's available to them that is not typically available to your primary care physician. So when we talk about things like glaucoma, your, your primary care physician may not have a tonometer, which is what we need to detect the glaucoma. Um, they also might not, they also aren't going to have these high intensity uh, microscopes that are available to the ophthalmologist and this is really important because this allows the ophthalmologist to get a v- better look of the inner portion of the eye um, and then that will help us or help the ophthalmologist with a diagnosis and it's really important for us to have a diagnosis because maybe the condition that your dog has is treatable you know so I think that it's important to to be referred to the ophthalmologist um, and shout out to my ophthalmologist I'll tell you what the ophthalmology technician there I'm going to say her name too her name is Jen she's fantastic um, <laughs> she's fantastic I know and my pugs are so they can be so disagreeable um, you know, but it's an important job, you know, to, to, to be able to see someone who specializes in just this one field, just the eye. And again, they're just going to have equipment that's available to them that your, that your uh, regular doctor doesn't have. And then um, certainly once there's a diagnosis in place, then they can work with your primary care veterinarian to come up with a treatment plan for your dog. But the other thing that's important, and I think I mentioned in the book, is, you know, if we have a dog that has a visual impairment, how do we train our dogs to, you know, allow these eye exams? Because these eye exams can be stressful because we may have to have eye exams multiple times during the year. And and there are things that we can do as owners to... um, change that emotional response in our dogs to these types of examinations that it doesn't have to be a stressful event. We can condition our dogs to these types of examinations. And in fact, making them less fearful and not only making them more less fearful and more confident, but that also is better for, for the technician and for the ophthalmologist as well, making that, that appointment go as smooth as possible. And I outline in the book several steps on how we can get our dogs used to handling their face and their muzzle and having their eyelid gently lifted to to examine the eye. And I think it is possible to change our dog's emotional response to this type of handling. It doesn't have to be a stress. We can practice this at home and teach our dogs that, you know, something bad isn't always going to happen when we touch your eye. In fact, I'm going to make it a correlation between two events. Anytime somebody makes this type of move and we move your eyelid, you're going to get a treat. So now we've made an association between two events, the lifting of the eyelid 
predicts the cookie every time. Mm -hmm. um, and so that makes it better for easier for the dog. And the other thing that we can do that I taught my second dog who went blind um, is how to do a voluntary chin rest, a voluntary chin rest. That was hard to say. And I outlined that in the book as well. Just And that's just simply teaching your dog how to put or to ask for your dog to put their chin in your hand. And again, it's all part of making the examination easier for your dog. And we can practice that as home as well. I find this so interesting that you said this because a friend of mine just sent me uh, some information about a course that is being offered in our local area. And she said, what do you think of this? And I was stunned because I've never seen anything out there like this. And I think it was called something like uh, Ready, Set, Vet or something like that. And it's a uh, trainer out of Chicago that is certified uh, with the Karen Pryor folks. Yes. And it's all about getting your pet's buy-in into their care. Yeah. So whether it's grooming, dentistry, you know, vet exams, and I, th I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Kathy. And I thought, wow, I think so many people have no idea that this is even possible. You know, it's oh, typically, I shouldn't say always, yep. typically very stressful when your pet has to go to the vet because oftentimes it's not so pleasant things that are going on there. You know, when they're getting their temperature taken, you know, they're getting poked and prodded and handled in places they're not used to by a stranger. And, but I think both you and I are more equipped for that because we've been on the other end of it. And as rehabilitationists, or in your case, the, the issues with your, your blind pugs, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a no brainer, right? Like how do you, yeah facilitate this process and make it easier and you know simply standing for an exam um you know so many dogs that i've worked with would would you know kind of crouch or tuck or you know because they're going into that protective body posture and i needed them to to stay standing to look at or work with whatever i needed needed to do so I think that we can we can change our dog's emotional response to 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 veterinary exams and handling. And I think one of the things we should start with is sort of our, thinking about our own emotions and how they translate to our dogs. And so when you know you go to the vet, if you're tense, your dog may very well believe there's something to be tense about. And so I think that there are a couple of things we can go down on a checklist, and I I outline it in the book of what we can do to make that experience better for our dogs. And and also change our own feeling about it because we we change our whatever we feeling whatever we're we're putting out is translating to our dogs. It goes right down that leash, right into your dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're feeling that helplessness, it translates as helplessness. If you're feeling anxiety, it translates as anxiety. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we can do. Um, and that's one of the things that's in our control. We can, we can control our own emotions and translate that to our dogs. You know, this isn't going to be bad. It's going to be okay. Um, and yeah. stay and be calm. Yeah. And, and I think too, just kind of framing what you say, because then, it emotes a different feeling. So instead of saying, it's okay, it's okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, saying, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, saying, good job, way to go. And it's okay. Good, yeah, yeah. Good for you. And, and, you know, but but just those little things can really, really make a huge, huge difference. Um, I, I talk to a lot of my clients about the the whole, you know, it's okay, it's okay, because historically, that has, you know, you talk about paired events, right? So right. that phrase has been followed by something that they don't enjoy. Yeah. It's noxious. Yeah. And so then even if it may not be, you saying it's okay, it's okay, 
will they're like what what's going to happen oh my god something's going to happen it's you know and and it and it adds to their anxiety and, <laughs> and the last so, time she said it was going to be okay well so it wasn't, it wasn't okay, okay. <laughs> it wasn't okay. <laughs> exactly exactly so um tell us a little bit about you talked earlier about keeping keeping your blind dog safe uh and you mentioned a, a number of products and um different things that that you did uh let's elaborate on that well, I think that that's the first thing we have to have to address when we find out that our dogs are blind because safety is paramount. We're going to need to keep our dogs safe, right? Um, we have to keep all of our dogs safe, but now we really have to, to step up our game here with our blind dogs. So I think it's going to be important to, um, uh, I would call it eye-proof your house, I guess. Right? Mm, right. Um, we want to block off stairs. You know, I don't want my dog going up and down the stairs without me. Uh, I'm going to block off pools. I'm going to block off the, you know, any, any doors that I don't want him to go through without me, any places I don't want him to be in the yard. I want to make sure those doors are shut. We can also get some facial protection for our dogs, if, especially dogs that have uh, short muzzles. Uh, those dogs are more prone to eye injuries simply because their eyes are large and bulgy, so they don't have that nose to sort of bumper them from things. So there's a lot of great products on the market for eye protection. One of my favorites is called uh, Rex Specs. Yeah. This guy made, I know, they're great. They're great. He made them... For dogs that are sporting, you know, so a lot of these dogs are that are wearing these are actually doing sporting things, running, hiking, rock climbing. Sure, I use them for <laughs> I use them for eye protection for blind dogs because they're made so well and they conform to the face so nicely and they stay on really well. I would say they're they're definitely one of my favorite product for eye protection. And then um, certainly they have uh, doggles. You've seen those. I think mm -hmm, we've all seen mm -hmm. those now. Those usually, are nice too. usually on, on the on the the dogs that are on the back of uh, Harley Davidsons. Right. Yes. Yes. They're cool with their glasses, <laughs> uh, and and those are great for eye protection as well. And they're going to help with blunt force trauma. So things that are they're going to bump into, things that might be sharp, things that are coming at them, maybe because they can't blink in response to something coming at them. So they're they're going to need that eye protection. And the goggles fit a little bit snug. Um, so I I always tell people if your dog has glaucoma, those high intraocular pressures. Uh, doggles does make a more flexible, more breathable mesh doggle. Um, so maybe the dog with the high interocular pressures or glaucoma, maybe they don't want that tight, you know, goggle fit around their face. But I think that that nicer mesh uh, will also protect them not only from UV rays, but will also give them some protection from from things that are going to come out their face or that might poke them in the eye. So that that flexible one may be the the better one for those dogs with the with eye pain or mm -hmm. or face pain. Yeah. Well, and, and hearing you talk too and, and mentioning, you know, the dogs on the on the motorcycles, you know, I think this is a good place to interject about prevention of eye injuries. You know, you mentioned right. the bulging eyes and that sort right. of thing. And I've had many experiences where I've been, you know, maybe even looking down following my dogs on leash in the woods and there's a branch and I, I've gotten poked in the, in the face, oh God, in the eye. Yeah. And, you know, you think about them being low to the ground and, and what kind of brush and shrubs and, and that sort of thing that, that they're navigating. And it, we always try to preach, you know, not have your dog's head hanging out the window. And why is that, mm -hmm. Kathy? They love it so much, right? Oh, the, they love it so the much. Wind gonna, the wind in their face. The eye. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anything, you know, even a bug or, or something like that, you know, you think about the force that you see a, a bug on your windshield. If that goes in your dog's eye, you know, that, yeah. that could be major trauma. Yeah, and for these dogs that have these large bulging eyes, I think it's good to, you know, sort of, you know, search your yard, proof your yard maybe, get rid of that brush, 
get rid of those low-hanging branches um, and, and sort of eye-proof that and, and see if we can prevent injury. And then if, certainly if your dog is blind, then you definitely want to go out and, and sort of grate that yard and make the ground maybe a little bit more level or maybe cordon off a yard, part of the yard just for your dog so that they're in an area that's safe. Uh, get rid of those 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 low-hanging branches, limbs, debris, things like that, that could be uh, an eye-poking hazard for your dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And one of the products that I was fascinated with in your book was the Little Angel Vest. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, Littlest Angel Vest is available anymore. However, oh! There are, well, there are some really good comparable products out okay. there, actually. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my, one of my all-time favorites is Halos for Paws. And um, it looks very similar to the angel vest, and it's so it's it's um it's a little vest that has a plastic hoop that that attaches at one shoulder, goes around the front of the face, arcs around the front of the face, and attaches at the other shoulder. And for dogs, um, that only helps them with um, those nasty head bumps, you know, preventing them from getting you know bumping their head repeatedly on things. But also, in my opinion, I think it helps them with some navigation as well, because when they when they touch something with that hoop, that hoop bumps into something, that that bump, that feeling. Um, is is reverberated to the shoulder, so it, the dog feels that there's something in front of them. So it's, it almost makes me think of people, blind people who use their cane. Mm. They know that something is in front of them because they can feel that. Um, so same thing with the halos for paws. And I believe there's another one on the market called, um, I want to say Muffin's Halo. So there are some good comparable products out there to the Littlest Angel Vest. I'm actually a fan. Um, I know that there have been people who have said to me, you know, I don't think my dog's going to like this. I think it's going to freak them out. Again, it doesn't have to freak them out. We can. We do have the ability to make this a positive association. You know, I wouldn't get this product and throw it on my dog and leave it on for hours at a time. You can put it on for five minutes, three times a day. And then again, making it a positive experience, putting it on, giving your dog treats, letting them know, you know, you're doing great. You're good at everything. This is wonderful. Um, And then the other thing is not being so reactive when the dog does bump into something. So when the dog bumps into something, it's hard not to go, oh, my God, right? Right. Because, Because, yeah, right? Um, But again, our dogs are like, oh, my God, what just happened? So again, internally, if we can sort of change that emotion um, to you're okay, it's all right. Or, um, you know, and I, and if my dog bumps into something, I certainly want to make sure that he's okay. And I actually gave him a command, let me see. So let me see means let me look at your face. Let me see. Let me Uh see. And Uh I look at his face and I go, you're okay. And then we go about our business when he goes, okay, we're all right. Um, So again, sort of changing that emotional response to him bumping into stuff. So, you know, if you're wearing the the halo and you bump into stuff and and your dog is going to bump into stuff, halo or no halo, that's what's going to happen to these blind dogs. They're going to bump into stuff and maybe not giving it so much emotional charge, you know what I mean, about yeah. uh, reacting to that bumping into. And, and also, you know, sort of <clears throat> giving their dog some of their independence with these halos, giving them more confidence and more independence. Like my blind dogs, both my dogs, they don't want to be picked up and replaced somewhere else where they don't know where they are. They want to be able to navigate their environment. Uh, they want to have their independence. Um, yes, sometimes they do need help. However, I think that for my dogs, they felt that they were more confident when they were able to have their, you know, their own ability to navigate their home. And the halo for paw, halos for paws, gave my dogs that confidence and that ability. And it, I imagine it must be very frustrating over time to repeatedly bump your head, right? And again, it's going to happen. And and these halos are going to help with that, just cutting down those, those you know, repetitive, concussive bumping your head on something, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you, so- you mentioned earlier about... Um, you know, people having a reaction that, you know, my dog's going to freak out. My dog's not going to like this. But I think all 
through the the podcast that that we're sharing and we're talking about products and such the beauty is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all, that there are a number of products out there that you, as the pet owner, knowing your dog, your animal, can choose from. And I think we, Kathy, feel that it's our responsibility and our, our job to just share some of these things that, that we know about that the average dog owner or pet owner right. may not right. be aware of. Um, you know, so I think that that's fantastic. And you know, you were talking about the independence uh, part of it and something that I thought of as you were saying that was, you know, empowering them, no matter what their yeah. abilities, we always want to empower them versus coddling them. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think it's a real disservice. Yes, we want to keep them safe and so forth, but we don't want to restrict their ability to live and remove the things that are joyful to them by overprotecting. Right. And right. Um, and then the third thing that I thought of as you were talking, so many things, is you know you said let me see, let me see with with Buddha and uh, and Digger. Digger, thank you. Um, but my mom uh, had a greyhound for a number of years, and for those of you who are familiar with greyhounds, uh, they have very thin skin, and so oftentimes Eddie would come in from the yard that was you know safe and and. He could navigate easily with some sort of little cut abrasion. Um, and so when he would come in the door, my mom would, you know, wipe his feet and kind of do a quick exam. And she'd go, Mama, <laughs> Mama, see, let Mama, Mama see. Let Mama and, see. <laughs> and he would stand there like a statue and she'd pick up each leg or, you know, and look at his paw or whatever, you know, to make sure that he didn't pick up something, you know, between his toes and that sort of right. thing. So, and you do talk about that, like coming up with, with new commands or very clear communication, um, you know, verbal uh, touch cues, uh, all of these things that, that help the, the communication between you as their, their eyes, you know, and, and your pet. So, yeah. And, and again, I mean, I think that the premise for all of our shows is that uh, we want to enable your dog's ability. That's the key. We want to enable, we don't want to focus on, I'm not focusing on the disability. I'm going to enable the dog's ability. And the things that we talk about, excuse me, the things that I'm talking about, like the halos for paws and muffins, halo and the rec specs, these are all just tools in your dog's bag, right? Mm -hmm. There may be dogs out there that, that have very limited uh, vision and you may not even know because their ability to adapt it was so great. Mm -hmm. So just think about these things as tools in your bag, right? The same thing with, with training for our dogs. You know, when, you know, when my first dog went blind, he was trained all to visual cues and I had to find a new way to communicate with him. And once we, you know, found a new way to communicate, then I could let him know what I wanted, right? And that was certainly better for us. And we used a lot of touch cues. And I, I talk about that a lot in the book about how you can pair those. So if you, have, if you have a blind dog that you're training, you can actually pair a verbal cue with a touch cue, right? So it's the same thing as pairing your verbal cue with your visual cue. So if you tell your dog to sit and you know you do that traditional like palms up sit, instead mm -hmm. of that, you know, instead of that, I tell my dog sit and I do a one finger touch on the rear and, and see if we can get him to sit that way and reward him for that. So now we've come up with a better way to communicate with each other. And again, it's about keeping him safe, but it's also about establishing my role again as the leader. I've got this. I don't want you to have anxiety. I got this. You know, mm -hmm. we're all, I'm going to, I'm going to navigate the world for you, you know, and I'm going to keep you safe. And having a way to communicate with the dog is sort of, it's, it's 
it's paramount for, for their safety, but also for their confidence and to enable their ability and their independence, just like we talked about. And anybody that knew Buddha, and, and I certainly uh, had the, the pleasure of, of meeting <laughs> the oh Buddha, um, yeah. knows that he, you know, continued, he had before he lost his sight, and then continued after he lost his sight to have a very full fun, yes. fulfilling life. Yes. And I know you feel passionately about, again, the quality of life, uh, enhancing, you know, their experiences that, that this doesn't mean the end of anything, but just a different way of living. Exactly. Your new normal. It's a new normal. For, you'll find your new baseline with your blind dog. And with Buddha, he, he had a very, well, as you know, Buddha was very, uh, what's the word? I'm going to, he, <laughs> he required a lot of attention and um, can, can we it. say high maintenance? Can we, he was can high we maintenance. Just, he was high maintenance. Yeah, yes. Can we, we just, just cut to the high, chase? <laughs> we'll cut to the chase. He was high maintenance. And he, you know, but he also, but after he lost his vision, he did become what I would call, um, what I would say that he had maybe a depression or a mourning period until we were able to sort of get those things on board that were, um, that would help him not only gain, regain his life, but his love of life. And that was all included in the, you know, the training and things like that. When I got my second uh, dog who was blind digger, um, you know, we had actually had some trouble, you know, bonding with him. He was already six years old. He was already blind. He'd had vision previously. He'd lost his family and his vision in a very short period of time. And one Aww. of the things that was very joyful for Digger was nose work, right? And there, it, it, was a, it was a life-changing, altering moment for him because he was actually a pug with drive. He wasn't nearly as high maintenance as Buddha. He was actually, you know, a dog, <laughs> real dog, <laughs> he was a real dog, and he was a pug. And, you know, there I am in my nose work class with my other classmates with three German shepherds and a beagle and my fat, and my fat blind, you know, pug. And, and shout out to my nose work instructor. She gave him every bit of attention and thought that she gave to every other dog in that class. Um, and it became something that was so joyful for him. We would do it at home during the week time, and it was sort of a job for him. And he, it just, it just, it gave us this opportunity to bond with each other. And to become a team, you know, we were a team together now. And he had this joyful experience. He loved nose work. He loved searching for odor. Um, and he was pretty darn good at it. And there was no reason he couldn't do it. There was no reason he needed to be visual for it. It's a nose work game. He mm -hmm. didn't have to have vision. Now, sometimes they would have to change the course up a little bit for Digger because, you know, we had to make sure he didn't poke his eye. But he did just, he did just as well in class as everybody else's dog did. And I think that the other thing that was so encouraging was my classmates and the camaraderie that we had together when they would see him have these successes or when I would see these other people's dog have successes, we were all rooting for each other. Like when Digger would, he would go out there and then we would come off the course and people would high five me. They're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, you know, my dog found clove. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that hard, but you know, to see these successes and then to see other people have a sense too that her dog is just like my dog he can't see but he's just like my dog you know he's doing dog things and I think that's really encouraging and for other people to see and I think it also maybe changes their mindset a little bit about dogs mm. that are blind you know hey I know a blind dog and he's doing nose work and he's doing great maybe that changes their mindset maybe they tell a friend maybe their friend adopts a blind dog because they heard that there was blind dogs that were out there doing just fine and so maybe that changes mindsets as well and I hope it does absolutely and and I, I want to just make sure that we are clear with our listeners and that emphasizing, emphasizing that it doesn't have to be this, this 
big daunting experience mm-hmm. when your dog loses their vision or their hearing or their ability to use a leg. Um, we can all adapt. And, you know, it's, it's not a reason to give your pet up. It's not a reason to put them down. Um, you know, that, that they can continue to, to live a, a very fulfilling life full of joy. Right. So, and I, I think that, you know, there have been many a time I've had a client discussion with clients who have said that, you know, my dog is blind and, you know, should I put them down? Should I euthanize them? Or actually, sadly, I've actually had veterinarians who have told clients that their dogs are blind and maybe they should put them down. And so from my perspective, and this is just my opinion, when we talk about euthanasia, it's because that we have something that's going on with an animal that is, uh, that we can't cure. That's either, you know, we can't cure it, it's painful, it's causing the dog um, pain that we can't control, perhaps suffering, exactly. And so what we need to understand is that blindness itself doesn't equal suffering. Now, um, SARDS, yes, it's very limiting, it's scary because it happens overnight. It's not a painful disease and it's not going to limit our dog's, you know, ability to do anything else. And so, this, you know, we've lost our vision, but that doesn't equal suffering in my mind. The loss of vision is not equaling suffering. The loss of hearing is not suffering. The loss of a limb is not suffering. In fact, sometimes things like an amputation of a limb or maybe even the surgical removal of an eye actually improves a dog's quality of life because whatever was painful is now gone. Mm -hmm. Whatever was bothering them is now gone or whatever disease they had has now maybe been cured because we've removed the eye or we've removed the leg, right? And so sometimes in those cases, those are actually things that might increase your dog's quality of life. So we can't equate blindness with suffering. Um, And I think we have to... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think we have to be careful about anthropomorphizing because I know a lot of people, too, that say, you know, if I became blind, I just wouldn't want to live any longer. Yeah. And they can say that, but, but if the time really came, would they still... You'd adapt. Feel that way, or, you know, um, and, but, you know, and again, not, our dogs are, are, have such an incredible, um, you know, zest for life in general and, and just uh, ways of, of healing and recovering. And, and so I think just being very, very careful not to project our own emotions and feelings behind yeah. whatever's going yeah. on onto our, our pets. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to have an understanding of your dog's condition as well. So maybe, you know, if your dog doesn't have good vision because they have cataracts. That's, that's, you know, you probably know someone who has cataracts and they can tell you my life, my quality of life is good. I don't see that great, but my quality of life is good. But if you have diseases or that cause blindness that may be related to things like uncontrolled, you know, diabetes, and then that's something to have a conversation with your dog, your doctor about, you know, what's my dog's quality of life from the disease itself, not necessarily the impairment, the, not the blindness, but the disease. So I think it's important for you to get a good understanding of what, what it is your dog has, what condition they have, what, what's, well, how do they, yeah, how do they feel? What's their diagnosis? Yeah. I have a question for you. Is glaucoma painful? Because I know it's increased pressure in the eyes. It can, yeah, it can okay. be. It can be. It can be. And, and sometimes these dogs will actually have um, enucleations, which is the surgical term for the surgical removal of the, of the eye. And again, you know, sometimes, um, you know, there's a lot of stress around the decision to have an eye removed. My first dog had his eye removed. It was very emotionally, you know, traumatic, I think, to me to see him without an eye. Um, but, you know, the thing I had to remember was the condition that my dog had for his eye was painful. I couldn't control the pain. There was nothing that we could use that could control the pain. And the eye wasn't functional. So, you know, in my dogs, I I guess if I had to look at it from my dog's perspective, he's like, well, it doesn't work anyway. And now it hurts. Um, 
but having it removed um, increased his quality of life because the thing that was painful was removed, you know? Right, right. Um, I, earlier in the, our conversation, I mentioned my, my previous Cavalier, uh, Dagny, and, and she actually saw an ophthalmologist uh, for a couple different things. So uh, I had noticed increased tearing, and I didn't know the source of that. And it turned out that she had, the word's going to escape me, where the eyelashes, not entropian, but where you have like rogue eyelashes that are kind of that poke through poke. <laughs> yeah. Kind of poking the, the eye and causing irritation. Ooh, yeah. That sounds terrible. And so they used a little, um, freezing technique, a little cryo technique and, and got rid of those offending lashes and that helped immensely. And then a few years later, uh, she was also having, you know, some, some irritation and kind of pawing at her eye. And I took her to her primary vet as you, said is a good first step and they did uh, a test to see if she was having adequate tear production and it, it, she was kind of on the on the fence and my vet good for her said eh, I want you to go see the ophthalmologist I want you to go to the yep. specialist and according to the specialist uh, she was definitely lacking tear production and so the irony with that and I know this is true with people too because I have a really good friend that has quote dry eye uh, is that your eyes water more because they're constantly dry and they're irritated and they're red and uh, it can cause major problems if, if left untreated. And I know a lot of dogs in rescue and things like that have had eye conditions that have not been addressed um, because maybe they were in a puppy mill or maybe they were yeah. neglected by, you know, their original owners or, you know, living on the streets or what have you. But for me, it was an easy fix. She just had to to have drops. Uh, some drops, yeah, and uh, she she had adequate lubrication and and all yeah, that irritation went yeah. away, you know. Yeah. But uh, so it it doesn't have to be a big scary thing. Um, it can be something that that is a simple fix and and really enhance their their comfort. Yes, exactly, exactly. I want to talk a little bit more about cataracts. In in my professional experience, I haven't treated that many blind dogs or even personally known that many blind dogs, but I certainly have had hundreds of dogs that have cataracts because over my career, I've generally seen more geriatric and senior pets. And I remember my optometrist telling me probably when I was in my 20s, he's like, yeah, if you live long enough, you're going to get cataracts. <laughs> so it seems to be one of those things that happens with aging, um, certainly in people, uh, happens in dogs. They are doing surgeries now, I think, to address cataracts if you choose to go that far. Certainly they are with people. Mm -hmm. My mom has had uh, bilateral cataract surgery as well as my, my dad, so I'm probably uh, not that far off at this point. But um, I know, you know, you've talked about uh, some of the things related to um, lack of, of vision or decreased vision and then having like trepidation on stairs or, mm -hmm. you know, getting in and out of the car and that sort of thing. And, and with my clients, it seemed like they would always first go to the physical because they were in rehab, right? We were doing physical <laughs> therapy. And yeah. so they're like, oh my gosh, their arthritis, you know, seems to yeah. really be flaring up lately. Um, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they get to the top of the stairs and they just stand there or even questioning like dementia because we yeah. know that that's a real yeah. thing too. And what I learned is to ask them about their dog's eyes and knowing that, lighting 
for people with cataracts is really important. You know, I'm having to use my cheaters all the time now, but if I have more light, I can read better, you know, without my, my uh, magnification. And so many a time they've turned on that light switch, you know, in the hallway or over the, the stairs or, you know, taken a flashlight outside and provided more light and their dogs have done much better. Again, increasing that confidence, they can see right. better because they're not looking through that opacity. Mm -hmm. um, we talked, you talked about uh, changing color in, in the dog's eye. And, and I think with cataracts, it looks very cloudy. Oftentimes it looks Oftentimes, white or, yeah. or opaque. Yeah. But I think sometimes they can have, um, you know, issues and, and it's not that clear cut, but an easy thing to experiment with would be just providing more light, light. Yeah. shedding yeah. light on the situation, shedding light on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You could get motion lights, uh, outside. You mm -hmm. can get on um, those plug in night lights along the, uh, your dog's route in the house. And remember that there are, are a lot of things that we can do to give our dogs cues about their location in their house. You know, we can develop reference points in the home. So what I did when I got my first, uh, my second dog, Digger, is um, I would walk him on leash from the couch to the kennel and the kennel to the back door and the back door to the food and water bowl. And, we, and he learned through repetition this, you know, this uh, map, you know, a mental map in his head. And then you can add things that will also help them with their navigation in their home. So now we've added lights. We taught the dog to navigate the home by, you know, repeatedly walking through the home. But you can also do things like, Rug runners. Rug runners are great tactile cues. You know, the, the you know my, my dog would go from the living room to the dining room to the rug. When he got to the rug, he would take a left, you know, so he knew that that was a cue as well. And the other thing we can do to help our dogs navigate is, is also doing a little bit of scent marking in the house with some of these. It's actually some um, on the market now that are actually pre-scented location markers. I can think of two off the top of my head, and I think one of them is sight scent. And I can, hmm. we can put that in the show notes, Chris. We'll all put that in there so people can see. And tracers. And what you, they're just presented location markers. And what I did is I, didn't, I don't have to mark everything in my house. I just mark a few things in my house, right? The water bowl, the kennel, the back door. So that my dog learns that the association between the smell and the item that it's attached to. I think the thing that you have to keep in mind when you're using that sort of um, cue for your dog, the scent, is that, you know, we know from, from scent work and dogs that do, um, you know, detection work, you know, whatever drugs, sniffing drugs, sniffing bombs, sniffing food or nose work, that dogs can source the scent back to its original source. So they do have the ability to source it back, right? But airflow is a significant factor. So when you're thinking about using scents in the home, just think about the airflow in your home. Mm. So I put them where we had minimal airflow so that my dog could pick up the scent and track it back to its source. But then when you start opening windows and doors, that blows the scent around. So just think about where you want to mark in the house that might be an important location, but possibly, um, you know, maybe low or minimal airflow where that scent is. And I don't think you have to mark everything. I just marked a few things along my dog's path. So that just gave him another tool. Again, another tool in my dog's bag for navigation. Yep, yep. Uh, talking about these markers, I watched the show The Zoo. It's about the Bronx Zoo. Oh, yeah? And, in fact, I, I visited there this year. And, um, it, and it, as far as zoos go, I think it's a, a nice zoo because it does do a lot of research and, and conservation of species and, and education and, and gives people uh, in New York City the opportunity to see animals, you know, that are, are wild, if you will, but in a zoo environment. Anyway, they have these gorillas and one of the patriarchs, um, 
I think he's passed now, but his name was Ernie and Ernie got glaucoma. And so one of the, uh, episodes was how are they going going to help Ernie to do, I think they called it something, shift change. They call it the shift change. So, you know, in the evenings, they would go into their inner housing to be safe and and so forth. And then during the day, they would open the the gates and they could go out into these huge, it's a very beautiful, um, simulated environment, you know, natural environment for, for this gorilla species. And for the shift change, um, to go back in, the gorillas had to go across these mm, kind of like, uh, rope, rope, uh, bridge things and, yeah. and climb ladders and such. And so they put different flooring in front mm-hmm. of, I remember where this ladder was that Ernie had to find and boy, it took him like a day you know, of training. So as soon as he felt that he hit that, he reached up for the rungs of the ladder and boom, 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 you know, there, there he went. Cool. So yeah, yeah. So, you know, we can use all kinds of things. And that I was trying to say that I I thought that uh, the presented location markers were site sent. It's actually, it's sitesent.com. And we can put that in the show notes for people so that they can take a look at that uh, as well for the, for the presented location marker. Okay. Awesome. That sounds great. Essential Um, oils. Great. I just wanted to, you know, I I think we're getting close to wrapping up the show, but you mentioned Digger quite a few times too. Um, You have a book about Digger and it's a little little different than than the book about Buddha and Blind Devotion. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Blind Devotion was sort of uh, born out of, you know, how can I share ideas with other people? How can I inspire them to work with their blind dogs? How can I give them hope Um, and, and and show them that, there's somebody out there. You're not the only one who has a blind dog and going through this. So that was sort of born out of uh, wanting to share this experience with other people, right? This book is called Watching Out for Digger. And I was inspired to write it. It's sort of loosely based on Digger's adoption. But I thought, why am I not teaching children about living with a dog with um, some kind of disability, right? Because that's my, that's my jam. My, all my patients mm-hmm. are disabled in some way, shape, or yeah. form. Um, and that doesn't make them broken. And yeah. that doesn't or mean that their lives differently able versus differently disabled. Able. Exactly. <laughs> They're differently able. Yep. It doesn't mean that their lives can't be joyful. And so I wrote a children's book about um, these kids who went to the shelter and they were looking to ha- adopt a dog that they wanted, they wanted to go on walks with and have fun and teach them to do tricks and stuff like that. And they adopt Digger and he's blind and they incorporate him into their family and they love him the way he is and they make the accommodations for him. They make the house safe and they come up with games to play. And so it's a joyful book and it should be a joyful book. They adopted this great dog. Um, And so I was just inspired to read that to children. And when I do, the children are all in. They're so Mm -hmm. great. You know, they're like five, you know, between five and six usually I read and um, they, they get it. They get it. He's, he's blind, but people love him the way he is. And they love to tell me stories about their own animals. Um, so they're, they're fun to read to. They're really fun to read to because they get it. And what a great life lesson, you know, mm-hmm. not only as it applies to, to animals, but extrapolating that, you know, to, you know, maybe classmates or family members that maybe have different abilities and, and things too. And, and everybody has the opportunity to thrive if, if they're given that chance. Right. Yeah. And I hope, yeah, it translates to um, having empathy towards all animals, but maybe even having empathy uh, towards each other and the way we treat Mm -hmm. 
you know, humans. I hope that's how it translates. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great message. So it sounds like you would encourage folks to go out and, and adopt a blind dog or a dog that is otherwise uh, sensory impaired or maybe physically impaired if, if they're up for that uh, potential challenge. I think that you should at least be open to um, meeting those animals, right? Because certainly they do present some challenges, deaf dogs absolutely with some challenging, blind dogs, sure, um, and senior dogs, of course, may present with some challenges. But I think you should be open to giving those animals an opportunity. That's mm-hmm. all I'd like to see. Give, your, give those dogs a chance. Give that dog an opportunity. Meet that dog. Yeah. Um, and then do your homework. And then do your homework before you decide to incorporate the dog into your house and make sure that you're going to be the right fit for that dog or any dog, of course. Uh Yeah, I think those dogs deserve an opportunity. I really do. I think they should have an opportunity to be adopted into a family. I was going to say, don't write them off sight unseen. Ooh, Chris. Wow. I'm going to steal that from you. (laughs) Pun intended, right? I'm going to write that down. I I don't think the audience knows this, but I... um, we recently adopted a, a, a new pug to our family. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. His name is Mac and he's almost three years old and he is a little, he's a little bit of a diva. I can't lie. We love him dearly. And I had a client ask me the other day, she said, Oh, I'm so excited for you. This is your new dog. And I said, yes, this is Mac. And she said, what's wrong with him? And I said, nothing. <laughs> so I said, nothing. She said, he can see. Yes. Hear. Yes. And, and all four <laughs> legs, yes, yes, he could, yes. You know, he, he just came to us and we adopted him. And and don't don't um, don't don't say anything disparaging because he's okay. Right, right. <laughs> now you're having to make excuses now, because he's, make, exactly he's, you have to make excuses for a healthy dog. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I wanted to, to ask you. I know that there's uh, all kinds of vests and apparel and things out there too. Do you think it's helpful if somebody does have a dog that, that is different to let other people around that are out and about in the community know, you know, like, like sane blind dog or, or deaf dog or whatever the case may be? I I think that is helpful. I mean, there's always going to be that one person that's just completely oblivious and, and, and is, you know, going to approach you anyway. But for the most part, when I'm out with my dog, he has on a harness. On the harness, it says I'm blind. And because of that, I would say 99% of people will ask me before they approach him, which is important for me. I don't want him to be overwhelmed. I don't want him to be startled. And I certainly don't want him to become frightened or reactive to people, right? And I also tell people when they're approaching my blind dog how, how my dog likes to be approached. I, you know, get down, make a little thigh slapping noise. That's the solicitation for greeting for, for Digger. Um, and then if he approaches you and greets you, that's great. If he doesn't, if he chooses not to greet you, don't be offended. That's sort of how I establish my role as a leader. If he says, I'm going to get behind you, I don't want to be greeted. I respect that. Right. Um, so he may not want to be greeted and that's okay. You know, don't be offended or be offended. I don't care because if he's, you know, <laughs> or be offended. I don't care. Um, so I think it's important to, yeah, I establish right away that there's something different about my dog that's different than other dogs. Most people are respectful of that. And if they do come over, they ask me questions. Most people are very respectful about asking questions. What happened? What happened to your dog? What's the diagnosis? And oftentimes just explaining to them sometimes a condition that they might be familiar with makes them go, oh, okay. I understand glaucoma. My grandmother has glaucoma. I understand cataracts. My dad has cataracts. So sometimes just explaining even what your dog's condition is, um, 
is is helpful for people to, to and for them to learn and for them yeah. to learn how to approach a dog that has some kind of disability. Yeah, yeah. education is key. I think yeah. with yeah. anything. But what about? I thought you were going to say when there's always that you know one in a hundred uh, that may how do I want to say it, like shame you or make you there's, feel yeah, badly always, about having, yeah. There's always the one shamer. Um, sure, absolutely. There have been times, um, it hasn't happened to me very often, but maybe once or twice I've had somebody say, you, you know, oh, that poor dog, you know, and if you know my dogs at all, you know that you shouldn't feel sorry for them because their lives are fine. Um, or you should put that dog down or the, um, you know, there are healthy dogs out there that, you know, need homes. So there's always probably going to be that one shamer out there. You know, the best that I can say for that is, um, again, I, I try to remain uh, composed. I don't, I try not to get angry. I try to explain to them my dog's situation, my dog's condition. And if, and maybe again, they might understand, you know, cataracts, they might understand that. I show them something my dog can do. It's impressive. My dog can sit and down and paw, you know, all those things that a regular dog, your sighted dog can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to educate them on that. Um, but you know what? You don't have to tolerate rude or unsolicited comments. If that's happening to you, then I would simply walk away. You know, I, I wouldn't engage with that person um, because there's, you know, there's always one. But the good news yeah. is for me is that for the most part, most of the animal people that approach me are very encouraging with genuine questions. And every once in a while, I'll have somebody say, thank you for adopting a blind dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. So that makes up for the other end of you're the You're welcome. Spectrum. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're a bigger person than, than I am because I think if somebody was, was rude or disrespectful to me, I'd probably go kick them in the shin. But... <laughs> That's assault, Chris. You can't do that. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. I take that back. So, Kathy, um, yep. as we wrap things up here, you know, what is the one thing we've talked a lot about? A, mm-hmm. a lot of great stuff. You know, everything mm-hmm. from anatomy to safety to what it means to be sighted or or not sighted, and and so forth. But what is the one thing, the one take home message that you, mm. you want to convey to our audience? God, there's so many I'd like to convey, but I think that the thing that probably is most important when your dog loses their vision is for you to understand that you you can get through this, your dog can adjust to this, and so can you. We just need some patience, we need a little bit of time, um, and we can establish what we're going to get as our new baseline and our new normal with our dog without vision. And that dog can have a joyful existence, you can have a joyful existence with your dog, you can still do some of the things that you really love, that walk, that hike, that nose work. Those are all fun things that your dog can engage in. So this isn't the end of your dog's life. This is a, a beginning of a new life, and, and we can adjust to that, and so can your dog. Very good. Very good. Well said. So where can people find you besides our wonderful podcast um uh where do they get your books and so on and so forth yes you can get my book on amazon.com so blind devotion enhancing the lives of blind and visually impaired dogs you can also get it on kindle as well as watching out for digger they're also on amazon you can also visit me at my website at enableyourpet.com so if you would like a podographed copy see Ah. podographed copy right (laughs) then you should contact me directly and I can have those autographed and photographed for them for people. Wow. Right at my website. Yep. 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 That's awesome. Right at my yeah. website. So 
And I, and I think that, you know, the watching out for Digger is, is a great gift, you know, for anybody that, you know, that has a, a child um, that is, you know, of that, that age. What would you say is most appropriate for in I terms of age? I would say probably between that four and six age, I would say, okay. is probably the most appropriate. And, you know, the woman who did my illustrations, um, Ann Zemanski, she did a fantastic job. It's very colorful, eye-catching, and the story is very heartwarming. And I, I must put a plug in for Anne as well, because she also did our logo for our podcast. So yeah, she's amazing. Anne. Yeah, we love <laughs> Anne. All right. Well, um, we'll have all that information, including uh, links uh, where you can find the books and some of the other products that we mentioned on this uh, episode um, on our show notes. And we thank you for tuning in, Kathy. Uh, this was a great discussion. And I really, really appreciate all the time that you spent. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.